Hello, this is Kenny Williamson, and welcome back to another episode of McKill's Deck Chronicles. In this episode, I'm going to be playing a recording of Pastor Joey Faust visiting with Dr. Kent Hovid down at Dinosaur Adventureland. And when Joey was down there, he gave a presentation on his book that he wrote, and his book is called The Rod, Will God Spare It? And this is a very interesting book, and Joey has this book for sale. And you can find that book on my website if you want to take a look at it at KennyWilliamson.com. But give it a listen. Uh, let us know what you think. And uh, I think you're going to enjoy it. So if you have any questions or comments, give us an email at TruthSeekers2012 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening, and God bless you. One of the books that I read that influenced me powerfully was this book right here, The Rod, Will God Spare It? Because one of my thoughts was, now wait a minute, I, Joey, I read your book four and a half times, it's 500 pages. I contacted you about it, I said, brother, I don't like what it says, but I can't refute it. Use what, over a thousand verses in here? I, I read it four and a half times. I said, uh, and so I still have not taken a firm position either way, but I will ask him to come speak tonight to share what he thinks is going to happen if a Christian fails, is that the point tonight? What if a Christian is not faithful? Now we're promised eternal life. But what about during this thousand year period, the day of the Lord? Joey, come take it away. All right, my name is Joey Faust. I pastor Long Run Baptist Church in the Ozarks of Missouri, about an hour from Branson. We have 400 acres up there God has blessed us with, uh, starting a camp called Pure Ozark pureozark.com and uh, very inspiring to come down here and I, I took the real what, what's it called the, the real, real tour the, the real tour and uh, that was a wonderful experience today lots of fun and a uh, very spiritual and I recommend uh, dinosaur adventure land to children all around America because uh, you're gonna get a blessing you're gonna get a blessing brother Hovind's a great inspiration he's taken bold stands for the faith and uh, I sure appreciate all that he's done. I'm going to speak tonight about uh, some material in my book, The Rod Will God Spare It. The subtitle is An Exhaustive Study of Temporary Punishment for Unfaithful Christians at the Judgment Seat of Christ and during the Millennial Kingdom. I go through the gospel, uh, the subject of rewards, and the last quarter of the book, I call accountability truth in history. And I go through hundreds of Christians, many of them that you've heard of. And, but what you haven't heard, because there's been a cover-up, and what they taught, this generation has never heard. You've heard their name, but you're not aware of what they've taught. I've had Christian history professors at colleges sit before me and they say Watchman Nee never taught anything like that. Well here's Watchman Nee's book. Watchman Nee said that if you don't live a faithful Christian life you are eternally secure by faith. Amen. Through faith by the blood of Jesus you cannot add any works to that and uh, you are eternally secure it's through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ but he goes through and shows you can miss the millennial kingdom. You can be punished. You can go to outer darkness. You can have literal stripes at the judgment seat of Christ. And he says you can go to hell 1,000 years. Now, people say that's purgatory. Well, it's not purgatory because there is no place called purgatory. Nor was purgatory even around until the 12th century. Early church fathers taught that you could be punished at the judgment seat of Christ temporarily, but that is not purgatory. Uh, even Jack Van Impe did a documentary on my book. He called it the Protestant Purgatory. What is a Protestant Purgatory? Uh, is, is it judgment seat of Christ? 
They call everything purgatory because we are living in an age when nobody wants accountability. You are living in a post-World War II age where everybody worshipped Dr. Spock and psychology and you understand children were not punished and etc. etc. Responsibility left the churches, it left the family, it left our nation and you've got a bunch of spoiled saints, spoiled Christians. They don't want to hear anything about judgment and accountability. So I basically did a historical study of 2,000 years of Christianity, uh, collected books from around the world, gave you excerpts of the book so you can see that, earth, that there's a third way. It's not can you lose salvation or basically you can't lose salvation and you can never be punished. There is a third way that was very, very popular for 2,000 years, and that is you are eternally secure, you are saved by the blood of Jesus, by grace, through faith alone, but you can miss the thousand-year kingdom and be punished during that age. And when people understand this, uh, basically the whole Bible will make sense. See, when you go to read the Bible, what grid you read through, the lens that you read through is how you're going to interpret. If you've never heard there was a third box, a third alternative, it gets very difficult to understand these scriptures. This is Panton's book, uh, The Judgment Seat of Christ. He goes through and explains. Um, it, it just used to be a very popular teaching at one time. But let's begin. I call this conditional promises concerning the coming kingdom. Notice the book of Jude, it says, Beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. If there's a common salvation, what's the special salvation? See, it was needful for me to write unto you and exhort that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. There is a teaching. There is a salvation that is delivered unto you because guess what? Judgment begins at the house of God. There's judgment of the sinner, the lost sinner. And that's very important. That's the gospel of eternal salvation. But there is a gospel of the kingdom that is for you. And the Bible says in the last days it's going to be revived. And it's going to be preached in all the world. And all of these great men of God said in the last days you'll see this truth again. It was in the early church during persecution. And when persecution and sobriety begins to break out in the world, this truth will revive. And saints will get sober and they'll be willing to listen to to their warning, see. And uh, that's very important. Jude says, For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly man, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness. Basically, you can live however you want. That's why people teach you could lose salvation, because the way people are living, they say, Well, what is going to happen to these believers? Uh, they must, and then they get rid of the gospel, see. They cut off the whole foundation. I will therefore put you in remembrance, though you once knew this, how that the Lord, having saved the people out of the land of Egypt, afterward destroyed them that, that believed not. Believe not in what? Uh, if you don't believe in there, that there's a God that's going to hold you accountable, that you should obey Him. If you don't have the faith of Hebrews 11 that those great men of God had in the faith chapter, this is the faith for walking the Christian life. If you don't believe in the coming judgment, if you don't believe you're going to stand and be held accountable, then what's going to happen to you? You're going to start living a loose life nine times out of ten. It says, The angels which kept not their first estate, but left their own habitation, he has reserved in everlasting chains under darkness unto the judgment of the great day. He's saying, look at the God that you serve. He judged the Israelites that came out of Egypt. He judged some of the angels. But beloved, remember ye the words which were spoken before the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. How that they told you there should be mockers in the last time who should walk after their own ungodly lust. We are living in a day of mockers. And I tell you what, you will never hear more mocking than the mocking of judgment. It, when God says there's going to be scoffers, he's talking about the God of judgment. And judgment begins at the house of God. 
I totally understand that this is going to be mocked. I'm going to be called a heretic. They're going to call it the Protestant purgatory because they don't. They want to give warnings to the to the unbeliever. They love to give warnings to the sinner, but the believers do not want to take their own warnings. They don't want to take what the Lord Jesus Christ said to believers, and that's a shame. That is a shame. Here are the mockers. Sixty-three percent of religious Americans say the novel coronavirus pandemic is a sign from God telling humanity to change its ways of living according to a new poll. I hope that some sobriety is starting to happen in our country. Unfortunately, that does not appear to be happening. Instead, surveys have shown that Americans are increasingly turning to drugs, alcohol, and television during this pandemic. A survey that was released just this week found that Bible reading in the United States dropped between January and June. In other words, this is very troubling. This is very troubling. You know what's happening out here with the riots. You know what's happening in the churches across America. I don't have to document that for you. Let's begin at the beginning. Uh, the grace of God. The grace of God. Uh, see, people want to argue against my position by pretending that I'm teaching a loss of salvation. No, I don't teach a loss of salvation. In, in fact, Five minutes after talking to me, you will call me an easy believer. I've had people come up to me on the street for years and, and argue. And, and for one minute, they're calling me a legalist uh, because I teach the fear of God. The next second, they're saying, well, you're one of these easy believers. You know, they don't know where to place me because they only know two positions, not three. I believe Ephesians 2, for by the grace... For by grace are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. But what is that gift? It's eternal salvation. It's eternal life. Did he say you can never be punished in this life? No, he did not. We know 1 Corinthians 11. You know believers can be punished in this life. But who told you? Where did you get the idea? And I say you loosely. Understand. Where did we get the idea that you can't be punished at the judgment seat of Christ. If He punishes you now in the age of patience and mercy, what's going to happen when the Father comes home, when the master of the house comes home to inspect you? Suddenly now, there's no death, there's no stripes, there's no punishment. That's upside down, folks. That is upside down. Not of works, lest any man should both. Romans 4 says, If Abraham were justified by works, he hath whereof to glory, but not before God. For what saith the Scripture? Abraham believed God. No works, and it was counted unto him for righteousness. But to him that worketh not, but believeth on him that justifieth the ungodly, his faith is counted for righteousness. When did Abraham believe? Uh, at least in this instance, it says in Genesis 15, he brought him forth abroad and said, Look now toward heaven and tell the stars. That means count them. If thou be able to number them. And he said unto him, So shall thy seed be. A simple promise. And he believed in the Lord and he accounted it unto him for righteousness. What a beautiful picture of salvation, because you just believe. He, he says he died for your sins, he gives you everlasting life by believing, and you believe and you are accounted righteous because of the righteousness of Christ and his shed blood for our sins. That's beautiful. But what about the contrast now? It says in Romans 11, if by grace, then it's no more of works. Otherwise, grace is no more grace. But if it be of works, then it's no more grace. Otherwise, work is no more work. You gotta, we can't be Buddhist. We, we can't end up with this contradictory theology, see. Uh, so what about these verses? Hebrews 6 says that you be not slothful, but followers of them who through faith and patience inherit the promises. So there's some promises out there that you don't get by faith alone, but faith and. You, you can, they call it a working faith. And, and this is what's happening. All across America, they're saying faith works. We're saved by faith works. And they're saying we might as well just go back to the Catholic Church because the whole Reformation was a mistake. It, it, it's working faith. It's faith works, you know. No. It's faith alone for eternal salvation. But nobody said that you get rewarded at the judgment seat of Christ and win the thousand-year kingdom by faith alone. By faith and patience inherit the promises. For when God made promise to Abraham, because he could swear by no greater, he swear by himself, saying, Surely blessing I will bless thee, and multiplying I will multiply thee. And so after he had patiently endured, did that sound like resting in the Lord Jesus Christ? Patiently endured, he obtained the promise. So there's another set of promises that relate to the millennial kingdom 
that is not talking about, it's in contrast to the everlasting kingdom or, or the eternal kingdom. I want you to notice, only in your King James Bible, only in your King James Bible does it say, surely blessing, I will bless thee. You know why? Because he had just sacrificed Isaac or, or attempted to. And God said, stop. Surely blessing, I will bless thee. In other words, your King James Bible says he gets a second blessing. What do the new Bibles say? They say, oh, I'm just going to give you the original blessing. See, that is a salvation by works. That's why they say the new versions are teaching salvation by works. That's because our King James Bible separates. This is a second blessing. He says in Genesis 22, By myself have I sworn, saith the Lord, for because thou hast done this thing and hast not withheld thy son, thy only son, that in blessing, I've already given you the blessing, but I'm going to give you another one now. And this is what I'm talking to you today about. I'm talking to you about the millennial kingdom. You've heard of salvation and everlasting eternity, eternal life. I'm telling you today about salvation into the coming kingdom. It's a double portion, so to speak. Uh, you remember James chapter 2. Look at it now with these kingdom eyes. Look at it with this uh, perspective now. My brethren, have not the faith of our Lord, whoever he's writing to, has the Lord Jesus Christ as their Savior. Our Lord. Brethren. He calls them brethren. The Lord of glory with respect of persons. He's saying, make sure that you have the faith of the Lord, but you don't walk in sin, see, by respecting people. Hearken, my beloved brethren. Does that sound like lost people? My beloved brethren, hath not God chosen the poor of this world, rich in faith, and heirs of the coming kingdom, which he hath promised to them that believe on him? No, promised to them that love him. And what did the Lord say? If you love me, keep my commandments. This is the love of God, that you keep his commandments. But you have despised the poor. That's their sin. They're not loving God. What does it profit my brethren, though a man say he hath faith, and have not works, can faith save him? So there's some faith, there is some way that you are not saved by faith alone. This is why Luther said, i got to cut this out of the Bible. This doesn't make any sense. And he threw away the book of James. He couldn't understand it. He said, you can't harmonize this with the apostles. Well, you can harmonize it if you understand James is talking about the kingdom. The whole context in verse 5 is the coming kingdom. The kingdom that believers are to strive and suffer to try to obtain. Even so, faith, if it hath not works, is dead, being alone. It's not a fake faith here. It's a faith that is not having works added to it. They were despising the poor. They were not adding works to their faith. Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he had offered Isaac his son upon the altar? You see then how that by works a man is justified and not by faith only. I say unto you again, there is a justification in eternity that is by faith only. And Paul develops that in Romans chapter 4. John chapter 6, the Lord speaks of it. But there is a faith that you are to have in your Christian walk. And faith alone did not get Abraham that second blessing. It's when he patiently endured and was about to sacrifice Isaac, that's when he got the second blessing, and that's when you'll get the second blessing. That's when you will be blessed at the judgment seat of Christ, and he'll say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. You added works to your faith, enter now into the millennial pride, but many will not enter the millennial kingdom. And that is clear in the Bible. As you see, there is a twofoldness of divine truth. Our Lord is both 100% man, 100% God. Uh, there is an eternal kingdom, and there is a thousand-year kingdom. One is the gift, the other is the prize. And as you go through the Bible and understand this twofold nature of, of the scriptures, it'll open your eyes. Govet was a great Christian writer. He wrote the twofoldness of divine truth, where he explains these things that I'm discussing right now. Charles Spurgeon said about Mr. Govit, he wrote a hundred years before his time, and the day will come when his works will be treasured as sifted gold. He says, in all my life I have discovered no author so exactly aware of what God said, and who is able to make it clear in plain and simple language. Govet was the first one to say the book of Revelation is literal in modern times, and that these times, there's a literal kingdom, and a literal tribulation period, and all of this is literal, and he taught 
exactly what I'm teaching today, that you can miss the millennial kingdom, that you can be punished at the judgment seat of Christ, but yet salvation is by grace through faith alone in eternity. So, to review, there is an eternal kingdom that is a free gift. But there is a millennial or thousand-year kingdom that is a prize. And you have to read through the scriptures. Is this the gift it's talking about, or is it the prize? Is this scripture talking about the eternal kingdom, or is it talking about the millennial kingdom? Just look at the context, you know. Let's look at the kingdom that is a prize. Paul says, if we suffer in 2 Timothy 2, if we suffer we shall also reign with him. You know what that means? It means that if you don't suffer, you will not reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. What's the context of the denial? Of the denial? You're not going to reign with the Lord Jesus. 1 Corinthians 15 shows that there is a temporary kingdom. Then cometh the end when he shall have delivered up the kingdom to God, even the Father. When he shall have put down all rule and all authority and power, for he must reign... That's the messianic reign, the millennial kingdom, till he hath put all enemies under his feet. And then a different age comes into play, and that is the eternal kingdom. Our Lord said in Revelation 3, To him that overcometh will I grant to sit with me in my throne. That's the millennial kingdom. Even as I also overcame and have sat down with my Father in his throne. He that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Now did the Lord overcome just by believing, or did he endure? Did he suffer? Did he work? So the whole context here is not an overcoming by faith alone. It is an overcoming to obtain the millennial prize. And the whole context is what he saith unto the churches, not the unbelievers, the churches. That there's going to be persecution. There's going to be suffering. And you're going to be tempted to deny the Lord Jesus Christ to eat. You're going to be tempted to deny the Lord Jesus Christ to stay in fellowship with your family. People are going to get angry at you. You're going to be persecuted. You're going to be hated of all men for the Lord Jesus Christ's sake. And you're going to be tempted to deny the Lord Jesus Christ. One great writer said in the early history of Christianity, he said that if the early saints had not had these clear warnings, how could they have done what they had did? The death, the persecution, the suffering that they endured, it's because they believed what I'm telling you right here. See, just as Watchman Nee was persecuted under communist China and he suffered for the Lord Jesus Christ. But he spread this message all throughout the communist Chinese. And what a blessing. It always revives in days of suffering to strengthen you. There is a raising, a resurrection, never to die again, that is by grace through faith alone. Praise God. I know one day, no matter how I live, you might not be able to say that as boldly, but I tell you, no matter how I live, and I'm not ashamed to say it, because I'm not saved in eternity by works. The Lord has done all the works. I can't add anything to it. And I tell you, it doesn't matter how I live, I will be resurrected on the last day, that is the eighth day, and that is at the great white throne, and every tear will be wiped from my eyes, and if you're a believer, your eyes as well, and you will stand to be raised, never to die again in a glorified body. And the Bible says in Revelation uh, 20, at the end of the chapter, that whosoever was not found written in the book of life was cast into the lake of fire. But uh, he's going to wipe away every tear, and hell's going to give up the dead which were in it. And uh, we're going to go into eternity. The Lord Jesus Christ talks about this in John 6. This is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. Nothing about works, folks. Nothing about works. Simple believing. But there is a resurrection, never to die again. That is, you get in early. If you want to go in early at the premillennial coming, that's a prize. That's the double portion for the firstborn son. That's why Lang called it firstborn sons. If we suffer with him, we're going to reign. Uh, you get the double portion, the double inheritance, and that is you go in early. That is at the coming of Christ. We don't want to just be raised. We want to be raised in a glorified body, never to die again, and enter into eternal life early at the second coming of Christ. So there is a raising, a resurrection never to die again that is by grace through faith and works. He says in Hebrews 4, For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day, not the, not the last day, not the eighth day, on this wise. And God did rest the seventh day from all his works. There remains therefore a rest to the people of God. This is spiritualized. This is our 
gospel rest right now. That's not what this is talking about. He says in Hebrews chapter 2, he's talking about the world to come. What is the world to come? It's the millennial kingdom, not the world after the world to come. So how does he conclude? There remains a rest to the people of God. Let us, Paul included, labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. What is that rest? Here it is, Isaiah 11. In that day there shall be a root of Jesse, which shall stand for an ensign of the people. To it shall the Gentiles seek, and his rest shall be glorious. The rest is the seventh day. When you look at the book of Genesis, and you see those literal days, and he rested on the seventh day, that is a picture of all of history. And you're going to see that the millennial kingdom comes on the seventh day. Then you go back to the eighth day. That's repeated the first, and you're in eternity. So there is a kingdom rest that is the seventh millennium upon this earth, and you're to labor to enter into it. You're to labor to enter into it. And you're not to be like those children of Israel that came out of Egypt. They were redeemed by the blood on the door. And they came out of Egypt and they said, no, it's too difficult. It's too difficult. We can't overcome the giants. And what do believers say right now? It's too difficult to overcome sin. It's too difficult to abstain. Nobody can do that. Well, the Lord Jesus, as the captain of your salvation, can lead you through. He can certainly strengthen you that you can suffer against sin and reign with Him if you'll have faith and believe it and reckon yourselves dead but alive unto God. Philippians says, Philippians 3, that I may know Him. Why is Paul saying at the end of his ministry in prison that he might know the Lord Jesus and the power of His resurrection and the fellowship of His sufferings being made conformable unto His death? Paul says, I want to suffer with the Lord. I want to know the Lord Jesus Christ by obeying Him and suffering for Him. Look at verse 11. If by any means I might attain unto the resurrection of the dead. Why is Paul saying, if by any means I might be resurrected? That is the first resurrection. He's saying not just be raised at the judgment seat of Christ, but to be raised never to die again. Because all the early church fathers just about for 300 years said that you're going to be raised at the coming of the Lord Jesus and you're going to have a trial by fire. And you better hope you stay raised and that a crown's placed on your head and you enter into the... That's why they were eaten by lions. That's why they were willing to suffer. Paul said, if by any means... I might attain to the resurrection of the dead, not as though I had already attained, either were already perfect, but I follow after, if that I may apprehend that for which I am also apprehended of Christ Jesus. I press toward the mark, not for the gift, not for the gift, but for the prize of the high calling of God in Christ Jesus. The first resurrection is a prize, that is reigning with Jesus in the millennium is a prize. And if you want to look at the scriptures, just to compare scripture with scripture, when he says, if by any means I might attain to the resurrection of the dead, Look at the same phraseology in Acts chapter 27. Because the haven was not commodious to winter in, the more part advised to depart thence also, if by any means they might attain to Phoenicia and there to winter. What did he mean by if by any means they might attain to? He meant to show up there, to receive it, to, to be there. So I'm telling you, if you want to have part in the first resurrection, follow Paul, strive, suffer, Seek with all your might. This one thing you ought to do is press toward the mark now and be accounted worthy and pray. And pray for mercy. None of us are perfect. We've all sinned after we've been saved. But you better pray for mercy. And he says, I give mercy to those that fear me. So if you're sitting back and saying, I don't fear God, uh, that's a scary thing, church. All right, notice what our Lord Jesus says in Luke chapter 20, talking about the rest that is to come, this millennial kingdom that Paul pressed for, that he might, he might reign in the coming kingdom. It says, They which shall be accounted worthy to obtain that world and the resurrection from the dead, neither marry nor are given in marriage. You're going to have a glorified body. Neither can they die anymore, for they are equal unto the angels and are children of God, being the children of the resurrection. Notice he said, accounted worthy to obtain that world. That's what we're pressing for. 1 Corinthians 9 says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize? So run that you may obtain. There are people that said, I've never even heard that I have this prize that I'm to labor for. I haven't been suffering and denying sin. And there's been plenty of people that have told me, if I would have known this, my Christian life would have been totally different, you know. It says, I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I preach to others, I myself should be a castaway. This is often interpreted to just lose your ministry. 
to lose your testimony. And that is a great danger, but that's not all this is talking about. This is talking about something you're going to lose at the judgment seat of Christ. And the cast away, the Lord Jesus explains that clearly. He says that you're going to stand before Him and be cast away. And look at that servant in 2530, Matthew 2530. He was cast away into outer darkness. And he was not a fake servant. He was not a false professor. He didn't lose his salvation. He went into outer darkness because he did not obey the Lord Jesus Christ. Revelation 20, blessed and holy is he that hath part in the first resurrection. If you want the first resurrection, you've got the second resurrection if you're a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ. But if you want the first one, you've got to be blessed and holy. On such the second death hath no power. But they shall be priests of God and of Christ and shall reign with him a thousand years. What's the condition? To be holy. That's not talking about positional holiness. This is talking about practical holiness that you obtain by believing in the Lord Jesus and drawing nigh to God and walking in the Spirit. 2 Corinthians 7, Having therefore these promises, dearly beloved, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. We've lost the fear of God in the churches today. We've lost the fear of God in our country. There is an eternal inheritance that is sure through faith alone. You can't lose this. You can't lose it. Even if you had no works. I'm telling you right now, if you had no works whatsoever after your salvation, you are still sure, if you're a believer, of being uh, resurrected on the last day and receiving this eternal inheritance. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 3, If any man's work abide which he hath built thereon, he shall receive a reward. That's a kingdom reward. If any man's work shall be burned, he shall suffer loss. But he himself shall be saved, yet so is by fire. In other words, you miss the millennial kingdom, but you're going to get that resurrection. You're going to get raised again, never to die again, even if all your works burn up. This is a glory. You know what this does? It gives you both It gives you what's good on both sides. You know, it gives you accountability, responsibility, but you can now look at these warnings and not doubt your eternal salvation, not get all confused. You know what people do when they don't understand this? The preacher begins to preach, and they come to the altar, and they say, I think I just got saved again. I'm going to try again. I'm going I'm to try really hard to really believe with all my heart this time. And this is what they do if they're humble. The Pharisees sit back and say, oh, I know I'm saved. I know I've got enough fruit. I know I've got enough uh, fruit to, to, to qualify. Folks, if salvation is by works, in any degree, none of us are going to make it. You understand? None of us. But praise God, this is talking about the eternal inheritance. But there is a millennial inheritance that is a reward. Colossians 3 says, Whatsoever ye do, do it heartily as to the Lord, not unto men, knowing that of the Lord you shall receive not the gift of the inheritance. This is a different part. This is that second blessing that Abraham inherited, the reward of the inheritance, for you serve the Lord Christ. So you're to do everything believing that He's going to reward you, Amen. knowing that He is good and that He will bless you for it, that anything you give up. Remember when they had self-pity and they said, what are we going to get? Look what we've done. We've left everything. He said, there's nobody that has left anything. That uh, I'm paraphrasing. There's nobody that has given up anything that's not going to receive a hundredfold more in this life and in the world to come, which is the millennial kingdom. But he that doeth wrong shall receive for the wrong which he hath done, and there is no respect of persons. Is not this clear? You can receive the reward of the inheritance for being good, for being obedient, but you're also going to receive for the wrong which you've done for disobedience. That's just so clear. So now, if there's a reward of the inheritance, now you can go back through Paul's epistles and understand all those not inherit the kingdom of God. This is talking about the millennial kingdom. This is talking about the reward of the inheritance. Who does not inherit the coming kingdom? Well, he says in Galatians 5, envyings, murders, drunkenness, revelings, and such like, of the which I tell you before, as I have told you in time past, that they which do such things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. Millennial kingdom. Using the kingdom just like he does in 1 Corinthians 15. You can read about it in 1 Corinthians 6, Ephesians chapter 5, and elsewhere. 
Ephesians 5 says, For this you know that no whoremonger, nor unclean person, nor covetous man, who is an idolater, hath any inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and of God. Let no man deceive you with vain words. What are they going to tell you? Oh, you get into the kingdom. You'll get in the millennial kingdom no matter how you live. Oh, that's works. Don't you listen to what these men are saying. Well, he tells you, don't let anybody deceive you. What's the deception about? Somebody's going to tell you, you can live however you want and still get into the kingdom. Now, what Augustine did is he came along and says, I don't believe in a thousand-year kingdom anymore. Well, when he didn't believe in it, he said these early church fathers for 300 years were wrong about this thousand-year kingdom. So then he looked at this and he says, well, what is the kingdom of God? It must be heaven. So he came and changed everything and came up with this idea that if you commit a mortal sin, you can't go to heaven. But if you sin just a little bit, then you can still be saved, and that's where they invented purgatory. So they t the Catholic teaches that you go to purgatory, which they don't even believe that's a place anymore. Uh, but the Catholic teaches you go to purgatory for little sins, and you pay for your salvation there. That's what they teach. You pay for your salvation by suffering. Uh, God forbid. Let no man deceive you with vain words, for because of these things cometh the wrath of God upon the children of disobedience. Be not ye therefore partakers with them. There it is. There it is. Scriptures that reveal a conditional entrance into the kingdom addressed to believers. I'll hurry through these. Matthew 5, who is he talking to? His disciples. What does he call them? Children of your father, light of the world. He's not talking to the darkness of the world. He's not talking to unbelievers. He's talking to saved disciples that are light of the world. He says, Whosoever therefore shall break one of these least commandments and teach men so, he shall be called the least in the kingdom of heaven. That is the kingdom that heaven establishes on earth. He says, John's baptism, was it of men or was it of heaven? Did John baptized in heaven? No, he didn't. John's baptism was ordained by heaven. There is a kingdom coming that heaven is going to establish, and that is the millennial kingdom. Now listen, whosoever shall do and teach them, the same shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. There are some things that you say, well, that's just a little thing in the Bible. I don't have to obey that. Let's say you're obeying the big things. You're not a drunkard. You're not an extortioner, etc., etc., but you say, I'm not going to do all these little things. Well, you better be careful with the little things. You better be careful what you call a little thing, but God says the little things are going to matter. Those that do say, I'm going to be meticulous even about the little things, you're going to be reigning over another believer that said, I'm not, I don't care about these little things. But what about the big things? What about witchcraft and sorcery and sitting before movies that cuss the Lord Jesus Christ and watching gore and pornography and all these things that Christians do after they leave church on a Sunday? What about all of that? I say unto you that except your righteousness shall exceed the righteousness of the, your righteousness, those that are already saved, except your righteousness exceed the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees, you shall in no case enter into the kingdom of heaven. Folks, what did the Pharisees do? The Pharisees did the little things, but did not obey the big things. So, he's clear here. If you obey the big things, but not the little, you will get into the millennial kingdom, but you will be least in that kingdom. And you will take orders from somebody that was more meticulous and loved the Lord Jesus more in their obedience. But if you do not, let's say you walk around and do little things, but you're a hypocrite and you have these big sins of your in your life that you're not repenting of them, you're not going to enter the kingdom of heaven. That, Paul is just repeating what the Lord Jesus taught here. Adulterers, fornicate, all of that that list of sin, you're not going to enter. Matthew 18, he's talking to his disciples again. I say unto you, except ye be converted and become as little children, you shall not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Peter, James, and John? What do they need to be converted for? They already believe in the Lord Jesus. He said they're light of the world. They need to change their attitude. They were striving and arguing and boasting and competing. And he says, you've got to get rid of that. You've got to humble yourself. And unless you humble yourself, you're not even going to enter the millennial kingdom. That's what he's saying. I'll give it to you straight here. Hold on. Listen, Mark chapter 9. And John answered him. Who's the him? That's the Lord Jesus. Who's John? That's the apostle John, the beloved disciple that leaned upon his breast. Master, we saw one casting out devils in thy name, and he followeth not us. And we forbade him, because he followed not us. But Jesus said, who's he talking to? John. But Jesus said, forbid him not. For he that is not against us is on our part. And whosoever shall give you, 
Who's the you there? It certainly includes John. Nobody else has entered the picture. I'm sure he's looking at all the disciples, but John is included. Whosoever shall give you a cup of water to drink in my name because you belong to Christ. Just in case you needed, uh, that's probably removed, because you belong to Christ, King James Bible, verily I say unto you, he shall not lose his reward. So John belongs to Christ. And listen to verse 42. Whosoever, whosoever, including John, shall offend one of these little ones that believe in me, it is better for him that a millstone were hanged about his neck and he were cast into the sea. You better watch the example you give to young believers. You better watch how you live before young believers. And, and uh, you backslide, you go off into sin, you tell them, oh, this doesn't matter. Oh, you offend one of them, you're going to get in a lot of trouble. And listen to what he says. Listen to what he says. If thine, that's singular, if thine, I, Who's he talking to? Who's the thine? Not the ye. Who's the thine? John. There's nobody else been here. John, if thine eye, John, who belongs to Christ, offend thee, pluck it out. It's better for thee to enter into the kingdom of God with one eye than having two eyes to be cast into hellfire. Immediately you say, impossible. Impossible. Well, I'll tell you why this cannot be to an unbeliever. Because unbelievers are not resurrected before the kingdom. And after the millennial kingdom, hell is thrown into the lake of fire. No unbeliever goes to hell for all eternity. Unbelievers go to the lake of fire for all eternity. The only one that can have a body at the judgment seat of Christ and be raised to go into hell is a believer. A believer. King James Bible, King James English. You say, well, I know we use hell uh, to speak of eternal damnation. Well, you use it wrongly. We use it wrongly. And that's tradition. That's not Bible. King James Bible says hell means under. It's under the earth. It's under. Hill, helmet, like under the hat. Hill, under your foot. Hell is under. And the Bible says that John, unless he strives against sin, can be punished in the millennial kingdom. I'm going to speak a little bit about the judgment seat of Christ because a lot of people think the judgment seat of Christ is going to be a picnic. You've got some amazing teachings out there that are insane that say, I'm not going to be judged. Only my works are going to be judged. Well, can the unbeliever say that? That's really neat. Uh, so, uh, you know, you're not going to be judged. You're not going to go to the lake of fire. Just your works are going to the lake of fire. That's just garbage. That's garbage for a uh, perfect perfumed saints that have been drunk with psychology and Hollywood movies and they love that nonsense. John 19, when Pilate therefore heard that saying, he brought Jesus forth and sat down in the judgment seat. Pilate sat in a judgment seat that can kill you where there was real judgment. Acts 25, then said Paul, I stand at Caesar's judgment seat where I ought to be judged. I believe Paul lost his head to Caesar's judgment seat. But how is it? that you think the Lord's judgment seat is somehow so diluted where it's just a picnic. No, Paul says in 2 Corinthians 5, look what he says. We must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ that everyone may receive the things done in his body that he hath done, whether it be good or bad, knowing therefore the terror of the Lord we persuade men. There's a terror at the judgment seat of Christ. Losing a crown, a jewel on your crown, doesn't sound like a terror to me. And... Uh, it's just not biblical. It's just not biblical. There is a terror at the judgment seat. You lose the kingdom, you are going to be gnashing your teeth and you're going to regret it because you've got 1,000 years that you sold for a bowl of porridge, basically like Esau. You sold out your millennial inheritance for something you couldn't even keep in this world. This stinking world, uh, full of Satan, full of wickedness, you're only here for a brief time. Don't sell out. Don't sell out your inheritance for this world. Luke chapter 12, Blessed is that servant, says our Lord Jesus, whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. That's that millennial kingdom. But if that servant, the same servant, you can't say this is a false professor, if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delays his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens, and to eat and drink, and to be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him, and in an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in sunder and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. 
And he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. The only way out of this, there's hyper-dispensationalism that said, oh, that's just for the Jews, it's not for us, which is just nonsense. Shame. Shame for any believer buying that garbage. Then others say that, well, this is all figurative. Beware of that. In Matthew 13, he taught you how to interpret parables. And he taught you, uh, the Holy Ghost taught you in Matthew 13, when the Lord explained his parables, that the judgment of the parable is literal, regardless of what happens. The fire was always fire. Everything in that parable pertaining to judgment was literal. And it's like that throughout the whole Bible. Every dream, everything in the Bible, notice the judgment is always literal. The main event of every dream, every parable is always literal. And that, that should cause us to definitely fear the Lord. This is something I do not have in my book. I have hundreds and hundreds of great men of God, men that you've heard all down through the ages, uh, fundamentalists, the, the, the whole fundamental movement, uh, the fundamental Baptist movement in modern times started at the Baptist Bible Union. You had J. Frank Norris, but you had two men that Norris said actually started the independent Baptist movement, and that was R.E. Neighbor and R.T. Ketchum. And they were the ones that helped him join the Baptist Bible Union, which became the foundation of modern fundamental Baptist movement. And R.T. Ketchum and R.E. Neighbor believed what I'm teaching right here today. It is a fundamental Baptist teaching. Not today, it isn't. You're not going to hear it very much today. But look at the state of your fundamental Baptist churches. Look at them. Look at them. A.W. Tozer, I don't have him in my book, but I'm going to quote him for you right now. Uh, the Bible truth, this Bible truth has been obscured and buried and forgotten as a result. Uh, the Bible truth that has been obscured is the doctrine of probation. We seldom hear anything about it anymore. And a man who wants to consider it and talk about it and turn back to the Bible teaching is made to feel very much like a heretic. Wow. Let us consider what we mean by our Christian lives here being a probationary period. We mean that this life is a preparation for the next, and that preparation is not concluded when we come to the Lord Jesus Christ for our salvation. That is why I have said that it is possible to emphasize a good doctrine to the point that it may overshadow and cause another truth to disappear. See what the devil does. What did he do with the Lord Jesus? He says, climb up on top of this temple because Psalms tells you that he'll catch you if you fall. So he took that teaching, that promise, and took it too far. Go ahead and presume upon the Lord and he'll still catch you. This is what the devil does. So what does he do to the doctrine of grace? Take it too far. What does he do to the warnings? Take them too far. See, you have to have a balance. This is what the devil does. He perverts things. In this case, it has gone so far that leading teachers now take the position that the doctrine of probation and spiritual preparation is not biblical. They insist that everything is cared for by one act of faith and there is no such thing as an expectation of judgment to come. Certainly, we are all agreed that faith in Jesus has settled many important things forever. Amen. Our faith in Christ has settled forever our justification before the Father in heaven. It has settled forever that our names are written in the Lamb's book of life. It has settled forever that we are regenerated men and women and the seed of God is in us. But the great mistake in our day is the total disregard for the fact that believing Christians are on probation from day to day. The quality of our Christian life is sure to be affected if we do not feel that we are going to give an account to God of how we have used our time and abilities and money and possessions He has entrusted to us. The results of this time of testing will be seen in that great and coming day before the judgment seat of Christ. Every Christian is saved, but many have forgotten that they are still on trial. They have forgotten that the Bible has much to say about that great day when every man's work shall be made manifest. They are so happy that they are saved that they have forgotten that God is testing moral wisdom and moral courage, testing faithfulness and vision and stewardship for the kinds of times in which we live, justified and saved but on trial. That is where the Christian should hold himself. We're so eager to get out from under all responsibility, we kick up our irresponsible heels like an unbroken colt, and we snort our defiance of all judgment. I remind you that this whole doctrine has been long obscured, but our Lord Jesus set it forth fully in Matthew 25. Two of them realized that they were actually on probation while the third did not. The master said to the first two, you have been faithful over a few things, I will make you ruler over many. The third servant, who did not realize that he would actually be on trial during the master's absence, was cast out as an unprofitable servant. What are you going to do with that passage? 
I know the ultra dispensationalist just likes to get rid of it by saying Matthew does not belong to us in the church. Well, I would just as soon believe the modernist when he says Isaiah does not belong to us as to believe the dispensationalist who tells us that Matthew does not belong to us. Brethren, there will be no place to hide then. You tried to settle everything in the spiritual life by one act of believing, but there are some things that are never settled until death cuts us off or until the Lord comes. I can't say it any better than that. I'm going to just close this by giving you don't misinterpret provisional or potential promises. Do you realize in the Old Testament, listen to what God said to that generation, the people of God. In Exodus 12, He says, It shall come to pass when you be come to the land which the Lord will give you, according as He has promised, that you shall keep this servant service. There's a lot of promises to you in the New Testament. And many that want to object to all of these hundreds of scriptures, people say, well, where's this taught in the Bible? I just sometimes close my eyes and, and turn a page and look down the page and say, well, here it is, right here. How could you miss it? But there are other promises in the Bible that are beautiful. They're about everlasting life and eternity. And if they're in regard to the second coming of Jesus, they are provisional or potential, just like all of these beautiful promises. He said to these people, you're going to keep this service in the promised land. Guess what? Only two did. Only two did. Only two did. Joshua and Caleb. Why? He says in Deuteronomy 11, For you shall pass over Jordan to go in to possess the land which the Lord your God giveth you, and you shall possess it and dwell therein. But what happened? What happened? What a beautiful promise that is. But what happened? Numbers 14, Doubtless you shall not come into the land concerning which I swear to make you dwell therein, save Caleb the son of Japunah and Joshua the son of Nun. You're telling me that all those thousands of people, all those thousands of people that he said, you're going to go over. You're going to have a good time. God's saying there's wonderful things for you in the millennial kingdom. You're going to go. It's going to be wonderful. I've already paid the price. Uh, suffer with me and, and, and believe in me. Guess what? There's going to be so many that are not going over. You're not going into that land. He explains it in Hebrews chapter 3. So I swear in my wrath, they shall not enter into my rest. Take heed, brethren. Lest there be in any of you an evil heart of unbelief and departing from the living God. So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. They don't believe in a God of judgment. Let us therefore fear, lest a promise being left us of entering into His rest. We've got beautiful promises about entering. Any of you should seem to come short of it. Beware of coming short of kingdom promises. I believe this is what our Lord is saying to this generation. Malachi 2, you have wearied the Lord with your words. Yet you say, wherein have we wearied him? When you say, everyone that doeth evil is good in the sight of the Lord, and he delights in them. Or where is the God of judgment? This is what this generation is saying. Judgment's for everybody else. It's not for me. It's not for a believer. That's psychological Christianity. That's pampered Christianity, and it's not Bible. Okay, and that was it. There we have it. That was the end of it. I think it was great. Um, I have his book, and I have not finished reading it. I have sure not read it four or five times. But what I have read of it is very good. It's packed full of very, very good information, lots of scripture. And it makes perfect sense that, um, you know, it makes perfect sense that when you get to that judgment seat of Christ, um, that you may very well be judged and harshly for the stuff you've done as a Christian or stuff you haven't done so i would definitely highly consider that if anything i would definitely take from this whole thing is that after you're saved you need to remain faithful and you need to do the right thing you cannot just you know do anything you want to do and get by with it i mean yes you won't lose your eternity i, I can agree with that but i do believe you will be punished for what you're doing as a christian so you better take that into consideration and think about that long and hard before you just set back as a you know bystander after you're saved and do absolutely nothing for anybody let alone for christ so anyway let me know what you think um like i said give us an email go to the website kennywilliamson.com um please like share subscribe whatever and thanks for listening and god bless you